Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Stars daily sports podcast. It is Tuesday, March 3rd, and I'm Blair Kirkland. A quick intro here today because we've got a lot to get into. Chiefs General Manager Brett Beach addressed reporters on Monday, and I thought he had plenty to say about the team's needs heading into the offseason. Beat writers Herbie Teope and Sam McDowell thought so also. We'll hear from them first, then take a break and then play the entire Beach press conference, which lasts about 30 minutes. So let's get started talking Chiefs. Herbie Teope and Sam McDowell are here, and we're going to talk about the Brett Beach availability on Monday. I thought it was a pretty interesting half-hour um, uh, talk and Q&A from, from Brett Beach. First of all, I was I was thrilled that he he mentioned Therese Paler right off the bat, and that was this the first time we've actually had any kind of public uh, comment from from a Chiefs front office person or anybody from the Chiefs. We we've seen statements, but uh, Brett Beach was the first to comment on it, and he's absolutely right. Therese, this Therese loved covering the Chiefs, but I I think he he really enjoyed this part of the season as much as the games themselves, the free agency, the getting ready to run up to the draft. This was, this would have been, this is Therese's time. Don't you guys think? Well, absolutely. This, this is the time that he, he absolutely enjoyed. And I go back to last week should have been the NFL scouting combine. And just from hanging out with him in Indianapolis, this was his time. This was the time to hustle. Uh, and to Brett Veach's credit, you know, acknowledging Therese, also pointing out that he, he knew that Therese loved this time of the year. Uh, but it was, again, a nice gesture from the Chiefs to push last week's media availability to this week to honor Therese. And you'll hear that when we when we play Brett Veach's uh, comments after we finish talking. You will hear uh, you'll hear him open with with Therese. Okay, wanted to uh, wanted to get your guys' thoughts on uh, on what Brett Veach had to say. I thought it was pretty revealing. Um, I, you know, basically. Uh, confirmed speculation that uh, we've all had about where the Chiefs are going to put their focus in on the off season. Sam, um, let's um, uh, you 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 get you kicked it off uh, what right after the offensive line, and I, that, that probably took up two or three questions today with, uh, with with Brett. What did he? What did you think about what he said about the offensive line? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, Blair. I think that he was more forthcoming than I expected him to be on some of the topics that he was asked about. Um, I mean, obviously, no team wants to just uh, publicize their blueprint for the offseason, but he came pretty close with with saying that their priorities are going to be the offensive line, the defensive line. And then I think to a lesser extent, but he did mention the linebacker position as well. And he mentioned the offensive line, not just when he was asked about the offensive line, but also on tangents on other questions as well. So you can tell that that's going to be on the Chiefs' mind throughout the offseason. Um, now, it, it's interesting, and, and I know you'll, you'll get to at least a piece of this, and so I'll just address it broadly. But, you know, if, if you can get Eric Fisher back in, 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 in this season, I don't think that was a guy that we had planned on, at least when we talked last week about the Chiefs' offense. If you can get Mitchell Schwartz back, you know, for week one, potentially, you've got Lucas Nyang probably coming back um, from opting out last year. Same with LDT. They're going to have options to address their offensive line problems in-house, which is why I led off by asking, do you foresee your um, solutions coming in-house or outside the facility? And he still said, despite what I just listed with those four guys, they plan on addressing this with bringing in new talent as well. 
right, either through the draft or free agency. Okay, Hervey, um, Sam, put it out there, the the Eric Fisher injury uh, <laughs> that was so surprising, the answer that we received from Brett Beach was so surprising that Sam Mellinger, later you'll hear uh, in, in the uh, in the Q&A, had to follow up just to sort of clear his ears. Did I, did I hear that right? Uh, so what did Brett Beach say, and why were we skeptical about it? Well, because Eric Fisher suffered an, a, a ruptured Achilles tendon to his left leg in the AFC Championship game. Typically, when you think of a ruptured Achilles, you know, depending on the individual, it can range anywhere between seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 months before they're back on the field. So, you know, a lot of us who understand that timeline were, were thinking, okay, he, he probably won't be available for the start of the regular season. However, Brett Veach says, you know, their medical staff are projecting him to be back by mid August. Uh, what in, in what capacity? That remains to be seen. You know, it is the pup list a likely scenario, perhaps? But you know that they're thinking that he might be available by mid-August training camp, and then maybe even the start of the regular season, which would be phenomenal. You know, because he is their starting left tackle. He's got a lot of things working against him right now, though. Because that rehab process, when you do some research on rehabbing from an Achilles injury. It, the timeline I gave is, is usually about on average, you know, and from talking from other players who have gone through that, uh, you're, you're, you're actually looking at a nine to 10 month process, but again, they seem optimistic. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's certainly a difference between returning to the practice and returning to the field and actually being game ready to play. So I, I think that's what, you know, the, the five of us in our little chiefs chat have um, sort of deduced is that this, this is a good sign, regardless that they think Eric Fisher could be back on the field in mid-August, but that doesn't mean he's going to be ready to play football in week one, whatever that's going to be. But I still think this is maybe now a guy that they they plan on having at some point, at least during the season. Now, uh, and coming off an Achilles injury and being 30 years old, you know, are you going to be your former self? I think that's another question the Chiefs are going to have to ask themselves this offseason. Yeah, and their most recent example of that would be Derek Johnson. You remember a couple of years ago, he tore his, he ruptured his Achilles again, his second one, I believe, uh, in December, and he was available for the start of the season, but he just wasn't himself. You know, go back to 2014 when he and Mike DeVito ruptured their Achilles tendons in the season opener, and they were available for OTAs, but it still took them a while to get their legs under them. So this is going to be a fascinating one to watch, and, and as, as Sam points out, you know, it's this is good news. But, hey, the Chiefs are based in Missouri. Show me. <laughs> it just makes you wonder if there are different degrees of Achilles injuries, right? Uh, and maybe yeah. the Chiefs. And, and Brett, you'll hear it. Brett said uh, he's got the note. He's reading from the note given to him by Rick Bur Burkholter, the trainer. So um, that wasn't Brett Beach riffing off the top of his head. That was, that was information from the Chiefs medical staff. Or, yeah, from the medical staff. So. Interesting. I, I thought another interesting thing that came up today was the uh, position group was wide receiver. And uh, we, we, I think we learned a little bit today uh, about who, who we might see and might not see in the Chiefs uniform next year. What do you think, Kirby? Did you hear it the way I did? That uh, it, it'd be, it would be an upset to see Sammy Watkins back next season. Yeah, and I think the same thing. You know, he mentioned, Beach mentioned during Super Bowl week, you know, they would like to have him back. But I think Watkins is eventually going to price himself out of the market here uh, as far as what the Chiefs can afford. Uh, Demarcus Robinson, I would, I would actually be surprised to see him back as well. You know, what Veach said 
you know, to, to piggyback off of what Sam mentioned earlier, offensive line in the cornerback position and linebackers, he mentioned that the wide receivers, the wide receiver depth in this draft class, you could find good value in the middle to late rounds. Uh, the fact that he tossed that out there <laughs> leads me to believe that they are taking a hard look at the wide receivers in the scrap. Yeah, I, I I wondered if if maybe he was couching their their actual interest in wide receivers today because like I mentioned at the top, I mean, as forthcoming as he was about their other needs, all of us talked last week. Wide receivers a need when they lose Sammy Watkins, they've got to have somebody replace Sammy Watkins. I know he said today that he likes Tyree Kill, thinks Byron Pringle can take a step forward. They still like McCole Hardman, but I still think they need another guy there and and a number two guy as well. And there's so many players available via free agency this offseason and he said you know that I don't think you're going to see us in week one of free agency go out and get another wide receiver um, but I just wonder if one of those guys if, if the market comes back to the Chiefs and the, the Chiefs pounce on that because it's a position of need whether or not it's one of their top three needs or not um, I, I still think it's a guy that the spot they've got to address. Yeah, you'll hear Brett Beach say uh, the, the three names that he mentions are Tyreek Hill, McCole Hardman, and Byron Pringle. Um, and I've been kind of waiting on the Byron Pringle elevation, uh, status elevation for about a year now. I think we're going to see it this season. And Herbie, you also asked him about uh, uh, about Tyron Matthew. I think that's a player that we're kind of counting on seeing a some sort of extension and um, and, and maybe a uh, you know, a, a a way to help the Chiefs with their uh, with their cap number. You know, shuffle the numbers around a little bit. But but bottom line is, they want to see Tyron Matthew here for for a few more years, don't they? Oh, absolutely. I think his his exact words were quote years to come end quote. Uh, but they have to do something with Matthew and to get any kind of relief. He has a cap number of just over. 19 million, I believe it is, uh, in 2021. So extending him now makes perfect sense. He is in the final year of his contract. Uh, you know, last year they placed a priority on Patrick Mahomes as well as Chris Jones. And, and they're probably entering this phase here before the starter free agency with Matthew at the top of their list. We got to get this deal done so we can at least get some cap relief and we can address some issues that, you know, during free agency with some money to spend. Okay, Herbie, go ahead. Go ahead, Sam. Well, I was just going to say that was the one other thing that I took away from Brett Veach today is the cap. He was specifically asked about the cap, and he acknowledged that this is going to be a hurdle they're going to have to deal with throughout the offseason, and that when they go through and decide whether or not they want to add a player via free agency, they're going to look and say, but if we add this guy, do we also have to make one, two, or three more room moves in order to, to make room for that player? So I know that Chiefs fans are going to want to – them to add guys. I mean, heck, we saw J.J. Watt today sign with the Cardinals, and that was a guy that a lot of Chiefs fans were interested in. There's going to be guys like that that Chiefs fans want to get, and you just got to understand that the Chiefs are dealing with some cap restraints this offseason. J.J. Watt, 2-6 and six in his career against the Chiefs. I had to look that up. 0-2 oh in the playoffs. So, um, hey, Herbie, what, take us through the schedule. What's what's coming up in the next few weeks? What does the, the, the NFL calendar tell us about uh, – uh, free agency and talent acquisition here. Yeah, the biggest date the circle right now would be March the 15th. That's going to be the three-day window for the open negotiation period between agents and teams and players, etc., otherwise known as legal tampering, uh, as most NFL people will say. Uh, and then after that, 
the league's calendar year opens on March the 17th. And so those, these are the big days that are coming up on the calendar. And this, these are the days that everyone's going to be essentially Sam and I, we're not going to get any sleep. <laughs> like for the next, once free agency starts, that's the time where we're like, okay, we'll start pulling shift work. Okay. I'll watch this from here until midnight and then so on. But yeah, that's the busy time. is about ready to hit us. A lot of paying attention to college pro days that are coming up. And, uh, and of course we'll, we'll be uh, all over the NFL draft in April as well. So, uh, let's get to let's get to Brett Beach. We'll take a break, and when we come back, you will hear Brett Beach in his entirety. Went for about thirty minutes, and the first two questions right out of the box from Sam McDowell and Herbie Tiope. So, guys, uh, appreciate this conversation, and we'll do it again soon. Thanks, Blair. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending. Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Well, I appreciate you guys for hopping on the Zoom call today. I think as you guys know, we were supposed to have this call last week, but out of respect for uh, Therese Paler and his legacy, we thought it would be appropriate to um, – postpone this call a week. Um, once again, on behalf of the organization, um, our, our deepest condolences go out to his family and, and his fiance, Ebony. Uh, I know Taylor would have loved being on this call today. This was his time of year, the draft and free agency and, and, and putting the, uh, the roster together. So um, certainly going to miss him today. Um, look forward to talking to you guys about the future of the Chiefs. Um, before I do that, just real quickly on the 2020 season, you know, really proud of the organization from Clark down to Mark, uh, certainly Andy and his staff and our players. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, um, you know, the hurdles that we had to overcome just to get the season um, to the finish line. So everybody in our, you know, in our facility here, the operations people, the facilities people and, and Rick and his amazing staff of keeping our players healthy throughout the course of the season um, was certainly quite a feat. You know, I think after last season and winning the Super Bowl, if, if you would have said, you know, we would have went 14 and two, eight and one on the road, back to back Lamar Hunt trophies and back to back Super Bowl appearances, we'd all been thrilled. But, you know, the reality of it is, um, you know, the expectations were high. So, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say it was a disappointing ending. And, and certainly the way the game was played, and the way we lost, left a, left a sour taste in our mouth. But, um, you know, that's certainly motivating for us and for our staff here. And, you know, we're just anxious to get this uh, offseason started and get right back at it. And hopefully we have um, fans back and, and things get back to normal uh, as soon as possible. So, 
again, look forward to the offseason and, and improving this roster and hopefully putting our, our organization uh, in a position to go back to the third, uh, a third straight Super Bowl, which would be quite a feat. So with that, I'll, I'll open it up and, and take your questions. Go first to Sam McDowell. Go ahead, Sam. Hey, Brett. Um, appreciate the words on Therese. Um, wanted to ask you about the offensive line. When you look at the makeup of your offensive line, do you feel like your solutions are in-house or do you feel like that's a position you're going to have to address outside of the facility? Yeah, I certainly think it'll be a combination of both. I mean, I mean, look, we, um, you know, Coach Heck and and our staff did an amazing job. I mean, we had uh, we had two opt-outs with LDT and Niang, and, and, you know, we certainly missed those two players throughout the course of the season. Um, and we did a lot of shuffling, as you know, and, and then certainly the final blow was losing Fisher in that Bills game. And, you know, that, that was a daunting task to go up that, go against that front in the Super Bowl. So, you know, we do like some of the young players and their progress and their development. Um, you know, Andrew Wiley has shown that he can play on a consistent level and at that guard position and Allegretti took a step forward. We're anxious to get Niang back. So, um, you know, we have a nice blend of, of some young players that are continue to, to get better and, and we think we'll, we'll, we'll continue to improve, but certainly, you know, our focus will be to, you know, uh, to bring in some, some new talent and, you know, like the way this draft looks, this draft looks here or, you know, from the, um, offset here, the, you know, the draft looks to be really talented on the, on the offensive line. So I think it'll be a, a combination of, uh, of what we have in house and, and blending that in with some, some new talent, potentially in free agency and potentially in the draft, but certainly like the way the draft is shaping up. And, and, you know, I think it's safe to say that we'll be addressing that on in any area we can. Next to Herbie T.O.B. Go to Herbie. Hey, Brett, good morning. Morning, Herbie. Hey, two questions here for you. The first one, last year you entered the offseason with Patrick Mahomes and Chris Jones as your top priorities as far as taking care of them with extensions. How high up the list for this year would you put Tyron Matthew, who enters the final year of his contract, as far as extending him? And I'll have a, another question after that. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, uh, you know, uh, as you mentioned, you know, with Chris and and – and Patrick last year, you know, you put Tyron in that category and, you know, we'll have some work to do and to get with him and, and, and his agents, but um, enough can't be said about Tyron and his importance to this, this team, both on the field and the locker room. I mean, he's proven to be not just a great player, but a great leader and a great person to have, um, you know, developing the young guys and out in the community. So, you know, we'll certainly go to work with him and, and his agents see what we can get done, but, you know, needless to say that, you know, we hope that he's a victor, uh, with this organization for for time, you know, for years to come. And lastly, Brett, um, this is probably the, the last time we're going to talk to you before the week of the draft, and uh, you aren't likely to talk to us before then. But without the combine, the medicals, the interviews in person, how challenging is this pre-draft process compared to last year when you did have the benefit of the combine to look at medicals, etc.? Yeah, it's extremely challenging. So, <clears throat> you know, the medical is something that I know the league has been been working on. And, and I actually had some conference calls with Rick last week and, and they're putting putting together a plan to bring in the players that would have been invited to the combine to get their medicals. Um, it won't be probably as detailed or as exact as we had in the past. That is always, um, you know, an issue. That was an issue last year when we couldn't bring guys in-house for top 30 visits or go out and, and, and work those players out. You know, when we get guys in for top 30 visits, we have the ability to medical those guys. So any players that you didn't get at the combine, you would just invite them to the in-house facility and then do the medical here. So that'll be a huge part of it. 
Um, also the numbers too, I think will be interesting and we'll have to work through that. So last year we at least had the combine and we had the top hundred and so players there and we had verifieds, um, in regards to height, weight, speed, forties, brought all that stuff as verified. And we had basically, you know, uh, one comprehensive sheet. Now what you'll have this year is you'll have the numbers, you know, there'll be limited access to these pro days. Now there'll be re- NFL represent- representation there but you won't have full access. You'll have to be selective in where you go. And, you know, you guys know how this works. It's, it's always interesting to me when you see 40 times, you know, at the combine, you know what they are. They're running doors on turf and the environment is, is very, you know, it's, it's similar. Now, when you go to these pro days, you'll have, you know, certain players working out at an indoor facility with a faster track under weather controlled conditions. Then you'll have some colleges that, you know, they'll be running in 40 degrees and the wind will be blown in their face. Um, so when you click on the report, you'll see the numbers, but it's going to take a lot of kind of historical research. There are schools that typically produce faster 40 times. There are, you know, I don't want to name names, right? But I mean, we all know, I mean, there's a list of schools that we always say is, is you know, is that 30, did they run at 38 yards there or 39 yards there? Because you'll have a player X go to the combine and run four five and then go to their school and run four four or four three eight. So I think it'll take a lot of work of going back in some of the historical archives and, and, and formulating a, a metric that really stabilizes, you know, all the information that you're getting. So that will be challenging, at least with the combine, you knew the surface and you knew the conditions and everyone was on the level playing surface. So um, trying to differentiate between which are closer to that time and which aren't will be a challenge. I think we have a little bit of idea how to do that. Um, I think, like all teams, that would be a challenge of trying to figure out, you know, are these guys really four, three guys, or would this have been a four, four, five at the combine? That'll be a little bit challenging. So um, that will be interesting, but again, all teams will have to face, face that scenario. Let's go next to Adam Teicher. Go ahead, Adam. Hey, good morning, Brad. How are you doing today? Good morning, Adam. How are you doing? Good. Thanks. Hey, I wanted to follow up on uh, Sam McDowell's question. I was just curious about your philosophy about building an offensive line. I know this year was a weird one because you, you had to dig so deep into the depth on the offensive line, but still you haven't spent a lot of money other than Mitch Schwartz extension a couple of years ago. You haven't spent a lot of money on the offensive line and um, correct me if I'm wrong. Lucas Nyang was your highest draft pick on the offensive line last year since I, guess, I think it was Mitch Morse. So anyway, we're just curious about your philosophy on the offensive line and, and how you've built that and, and maybe whether that needs to change this year and Brad, I'll have a second question as well. Yeah, yeah no, certainly that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, just the general football one-on-one is, is get a quarterback and then build through the offense and defensive lines. Um, at the same time, um, you know, the reality of it is, you know, how, how the draft flows and, you know, what's available to you. You have to make, you know, certainly um, good decisions and, and not overdraft or, or go in different directions. So when you talk about just, again, that one-on-one philosophy about once you secure quarterback, you want to build through the offensive lines. I certainly think you can make a case for that um, on the defensive side and continuing to throw you know, money and resources on the defensive line. Um, I would say that it, it's, it's the similar priority for the offensive line and, and, and probably those windows of opportunities of whether um, players available in free agency or whether what was available 
to us at the draft at that time wasn't available. Uh, you know, last year when, when Lucas was there in the third round, certainly that was a guy that, you know, we made a priority to go get, I would say in, in years past, whether that be not having a first round pick or, or not having the lineman that you wanted available, graded as high, you know, available for when you were picking probably, you know, had something to do with that. But I don't think it's, it's certainly one of those things that you, you don't ever go into an off season or draft and, and, and not it have in your mind that's, one of the priorities is to continually um, invest in the offense line. And that's probably why, again, when you think about the last few drafts, uh, you know, the players have to be in those ranges. You don't, you know, I guess in your mind, you don't want to draft fifth round linemen in the third round and, and you want it to be, you know, um, you want to have that value representative in regards to what round you're picking in. So I would say a lot of it had to do with just maybe where the picks fell in each round, um, what was available to us in free agency. Um, again, I think you saw that amount of effort and resources put in the defensive line. But I think in general, um, your philosophy is always to, to build up front. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll do that this offseason. Go ahead with your second, Adam. All right. Um, also, um, can you give us some idea of what the expectations are for um, Mitch Schwartz, Eric Fisher and Pat uh, re regarding when they might be available? What, what kind of the outlook is for those three guys? Yeah, well, I'm just looking at my medical notes here. So Pat had his toe surgery on um, two two ten. Um, you know, talking to Rick earlier this or earlier late last week, it's it's a three month recovery. So we're hopeful, you know, somewhere around that mandatory mini camp if we have. Um, you know, we certainly think by training camp he'll be good to go, and, and we'll be smart with him. Um, Mitch just recently had his his disc worked on, and we're hopeful for um, for him to return to training camp. And the same thing with Fish. So. Um, we're hopeful both these guys will, you know, complete the rehab and and be available for for training camp and and to start the the 2021 season. Uh, I would probably say Pat's ahead of them just because of the, um, um, you know, the, that type of injury and probably a quicker recovery. But hopeful to have all three ready to go by training camp. Let's go next to Pete Sweeney. Go ahead, Pete. Hey, Brad. Hope you well. Hey, um, Pete. Question about the wide receiver position. First of all, I know Sammy had said he might have interest in, in returning. I was wondering where the Chiefs' interest is in potentially retaining Watkins. And then, generally speaking, your thoughts on the free agency wide receiver class and then the draft wide receiver class. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I've said it uh, you know, many times before. You know, love Sammy and love um, what he does for our offense. Um, you know, there'll be challenges this year. It'll be a lot more challenging to, to retain him and bring him back this year just because of, of where we are. And, you know, we were able to um, to work with him and, and his agent last year and make it work. Um, you know, this year it'd probably be even more difficult just because we'll have some work to do um, to get into the cap. And, and once we do, we'll have to, um, you know, see where the, the markets go. It is interesting, Pete, as you mentioned, it, it's a it's a pretty deep class in regards to free agency and that receiver position. And, and typically, like most years, there are numbers from top down um, in the receiver position in the draft. So, um, you know, I think we're certainly blessed to have, you know, Tyree Kill and expecting big things out of McCall Hartman this year. And I think we're all excited about the development of Myron Pringle. So we feel really good about those three players. And I think in frequency, you know, we'll be smart. And, and if something makes sense for us, um, we'll do what we do every year and listen. Um, I can't see us running out of the gates the first week in free agency to sign a receiver. I don't think that's where we're at. Um, but if if the market falls and things make sense for us, I think we'll be smart and selective. And then, you know, if something doesn't work out in free agency, I think um, there's depth in that position to to address it potentially in the draft. Let's go next to Seren Petro. Go ahead, Seren. 
Brett, uh, a lot of conversation last year about how you were able to massage the cap, and I know a lot of the work for this year is is kind of done in those contracts you did last year, right, and being able to position yourself. I'm just curious, how would you describe uh, your cap situation this year? And, and uh, Brad, I'll have a follow-up, please. Well, I would say it's, you know, it's challenging, but it's, you know, it's like that for most teams. I think when you budget in years in advance, when, when you're doing things, you know, in, in real time and you're looking toward the future and you're always projecting, you know, the, you know, the progression of the cap. And so I think originally, you know, the last couple of years prior to last offseason, you know, we were banking on a cap in 210, and, you know, you feel good about, all right, we're going to be in really good position. And then all of a sudden um, we go through, went through last year and, and now you're at 180. So it's, it's certainly not ideal, but I would say that there's probably half the league is in the same, same, same boat, same position. So there'll be some, I think there'll be some unusual, you know, cuts made in the next few weeks just because teams have to um, get creative and, and, and find solutions to get into the cap. Um, you know, I think that our, our cap team, Grant Phillips, Chris, they did a great job of kind of navigating us through these rocky waters last offseason and, and the contract that we did with, with Travis and Chris and Pat um, and the um, you know, roster bonus structure and our ability to convert them. You know, I think we'll, we feel like we're in a good position to, to get underneath the cap. Um, and then we'll address for agency uh, and we'll have to potentially make other moves to bring certain players in if, if we get to that point. Now, again, I don't know how it's going to work and what these markets will be. Will we see business as usual? Probably unlikely. Maybe for some players at certain positions. I do think you'll see that second wave maybe get a little um, – it may get a little interesting because I think typically, you know, in an off season. You'll have your ways of the top guys doing their deals, and then the second wave guys maybe the next week doing their deals. I I expect that you know the first week will be similar, but I think it'll be interesting with the second week, and you'll see some teams not being able to do those mid-level deals or lower-level deals, and I think then the market will be for different players at different positions. So, um, you know, to your question, it's you know it's not where we want to be, but that's the reality of of what we went through last year in the pandemic. Um, look forward to seeing how great we can get this year, but there's always different solutions and you know i'm confident in, in my staff our ability to um create room and necessary to add players that will make a difference deal and then uh to follow up would you is there a different philosophy a different approach a different mindset maybe is the the right word right now there's one thing when you're building a team that hasn't been to the super bowl in 50 years another thing when you've got that equity right in your pocket maybe you know for lack of a better term equity with your fans now back to back Super Bowls, do, does, do you shift gears and maybe play, you know, the long game last year was about right now, the last couple of years have been about right now, and now maybe there's a, a more long-term view that you take? Yeah, no, I, I certainly think that, you, you know, you feel good about, and I've said this before, you know, you have the head coach and you have the quarterback, and and now it's it's a matter of, um, you know, I, I think to your point, you, you're when you're so close and, and maybe entering that I guess 19 season when, you know, had won a Super Bowl in 50 years and then we have a terrific season and we fell short. And it, that mindset is, um, you know, you're going all in because you know how hard it is to do it and to get there. And then you get there and then you win it and then you're able to retain most of those players and get back there again. Um, I think if you live by that mantra that sooner or later it's going to like you said, just blow up. Um, so I think being more strategic and, and just being smart in our decisions, uh, like I said, I, I don't think, you know, we're going to go out there and, and try to reinvent the wheel and we're going to be smart and, and build for the long haul. And, 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 you know, that 
certainly addresses the offensive defensive line. And again, it goes back to football one-on-one and, and that's what we'll do. We'll invest in the offense and defensive lines and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll fill in the skill as we go along. So, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, once you get the things that you know that you have to have in place, um, then I think you can be more patient and let the market and frequency come to you and let the draft come to you and, and kind of operate in that approach. Take three more going right down the line, starting with Matt Derrick. Go ahead, Matt. Hey, Brett. Always, always appreciate the time. Um, you guys have always been able to mine, you know, the non-Power Five conferences and, and lower division talent for, you know, whether it's in the drafts or in free agency after the draft. How are you approaching it this year when you don't have as much film on maybe some of those guys? And how are you even with the Power Five guys balancing that with, you know, what you saw in their earlier years and going to that film? Yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be the challenge uh, this year. A lot of these small school guys, they really benefit from not so much the senior bowl. And, and look, the senior bowl does a great job of bringing those highly celebrated lower school guys. And and you saw this year with the um, the Wisconsin Whitewater Center and the North Dakota State tackle. I mean, the Northern Iowa tackle. I mean, usually the, these marquee small school players that the league knows about, they're all there. And, and that's a great um, that's a great game for them and and it it helps kind of guide where these players are in regards to their draft stock but some of these all-star games that you really miss the you know the east-west game that's where Turk Wharton popped on the screen for us last year the NFLPA game and some of the other games that you know these guys pop up off the screen and they make you go back and look at their tape and then you're kind of anxious for their pro days to come in to see what they run and jump. That will be the challenge. So, you know, that's where you have to have depth in your scouting department and, you know, got a lot of experienced guys out there, guys that have been doing this for 15, 20 years. And whether that be Pat Perduto or, you know, Willie Davis, um, Terry Delt, Trey Cozy on the West coast. I mean, these guys, that's, that's what they do. And that's why they're great at what they do. They, they spend a lot of time on the road and um, you know, they're usually ahead of the game before these guys even get to all-star games. So it's, it's just going to require um, just more work and, and just more um, deliberation with our area scouts and, and, and reviewing these guys. And it'll be tough. We can't, again, we can't bring these guys out here to medical. And I do think you're going to see my guess would be that, you know, in every year you have a, a ton of undrafted free agents make the team, but I, I suspect this will be a season where you'll see not only undrafted free agents make teams, but have, actually have some big impacts right away just because a lot of these guys, because of the lack of, of additional exposure that they would have had in the past, um, they won't have that this year. So, you know, I think it'll be, um, you know, it'll be our, you know, our goal and our objective to make sure that, you know, we're one of those teams that identifies and lands one of those guys like we did last year in Turk Wharton. Go next to Sam Mellinger. Good, Sam. Hey, Brett. Uh, good to see you. Um, but before I ask the question I was going to ask, um, can I just have you clarify something with Eric Fisher? You said that you were expecting him back by training camp. Are you saying that there's a chance he could play, you know, first game of the regular season? Yeah, I think um, look at my notes right here. Achilles surgery, 129, you know, I, based on Rick and his medical staff, he, he projects a mid-August return. So now listen, how that works, you know, everything is different and everyone recovers differently. So. You know, I think um, with that injury and, and, you know, with the time leading up for the season, you know, Rick has here a mid-August return and you know how that works. That's all always, you know, to be determined until the player actually reports back to camp and goes through the offseason and see where he is. But I think that, um, you know, the mid-August timeline was put in front of my notes here. So, you know, I'll, I'll defer to Rick on that and, and trust his medical expertise. Uh, 
I hear you. Okay. Um, and uh, the other thing you mentioned, offensive line is being a good uh, position in the draft. And I think it sounded like you were saying first day, first round there. Uh, what are some positions you see some depth and, and maybe some value day two, day three? I think, you know, we just finished our, our what would have been our pre-combine meetings uh, this past weekend um, and getting through the board, you know, every year you're going to have numbers at receivers just because every se- every team seems to have two or three of those guys. So there's certainly some, some depth of the wide receiver position. I, I would say the two positions though that really jump out at you would be the offensive line, the cornerback position. Uh, I, I think those are the two positions that kind of just, when you look at the board, they kind of just scream at you that there's depth there, you know, really rounds one through, through three, one through four. Now they'll go quick. So even though there's numbers there, by the time you blink your eyes and you get into the middle or late round two, all those numbers that you saw, we joke about it every year. Like, wow, there's so many linemen. But when you pick 31, 32 every year, by the time you get to 231, they're all gone. I mean, that's just the way it works. But just from a sheer number standpoint, I think the offense line is really deep. I think the cornerback position is deep. And I think the receiver position, um, you know, has some some value in the middle and late rounds quarterback looks to be a pretty good class, but I, don't, I can't anticipate in drafting, drafting a quarterback. So certainly early anyway, but, um, um, but yeah, I, you know, to your question, O-line corner and receivers, I, I think look pretty good everywhere else is a little bit thinner, you know, some positions maybe more thin than in years past. So there'll be a little bit more work to do to see if you can build up the numbers and, and identify talent later on in the draft. We'll go last to Nate Taylor. Go ahead, Nate. Hey, Brad, good to see you as always. Hey, I Nate. have, uh, I have two questions for you. The first to start is um, from a defensive philosophy, how do you anticipate this offseason in terms of trying to build out on the defense? You mentioned defensive line earlier, but just do you feel like there's room to do it both in free agency and through the draft in terms of getting the defense slightly better? Yeah, I don't, you know, free agency again will be. Um, a unique animal for us. So we'll, on one end, we'll work our conversions to get into the cap. And then what we have left and, and what we can do will be largely dependent on what becomes available to us. And do we think this would be, a, you know, the right course of action? And are there other moves that we would have to make to make this work? So that'll be one thing. And then on the draft, um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, that will be the, you know, it, it kind of works hand in hand. So based upon how the free agency works out and if, you're able to address it then you know the draft will work hand in hand so if you're able to potentially you know address one area then it, it gives you more flexibility to add in, in another area now if you can't do anything in the draft and or in free agency then you know you'll certainly have a lot of holes to fill in the draft but um but just again from a thousand foot view when you look at our roster composition i think you know we certainly want to build back our offensive line and then on the defensive side like our secondary and and you know um if I think depth at the linebacker position and defensive line will be something that we'll try to address either through free agency or, or and or the draft. So, um, you, you know, if you're if you're asking me just now, again, this can go in many different directions, but just in general, you know, looking forward in the blueprint for the offseason, I mean, we're certainly going to look on the offensive line, the defensive line and the linebacker position to get better. And um but that's not to say you can't get better at every position, you know, getting Travis to back up tight end, getting depth at wide out, identifying more young corners that we've been able to do um, and certainly look to continue to do in the draft will be something that will be always on our radar. And you may find value that you didn't expect. I mean, you may find, you know, you, you may be thinking one thing and then all of a sudden another position that you didn't anticipate having access to becomes available and you just have to have um, different game plans in place. Yeah. And then secondly, Brad, I'm sure you saw these comments, but DeMar Smith uh, about a week ago 
gave the impression to agents that because of a, you know, truncated cap that maybe, you know, more than in previous years, agents should, you know, in essence, collude to not uh, obviously get the best deals for their players. I'm just wondering from a team that already has its constraints with the salary cap and where it may go uh, between now and the start of free agency, how do you navigate that when understanding that, you know, guys want to get the best deals for their players in terms of agents, but also you have to somehow structure it to work within uh, the confines of the league in terms of maybe agents colluding more than usual. Yeah. And I mean, listen, that's difficult. And I think that, you know, the only thing that we can do or have the power to do is, is, you know, offer our position or contract and, and, you know, explain it and, and work with the agents in regards to what, what's possible. And there comes a point where certain things because of uh, the stress of the limited cap puts on the agent, the player, the organization, um, I think what we do is we exhaust every scenario and every possible way things can get executed. And if it, if it happens to, to jive with the player and their agent, if it makes sense to them, then, you know, then it works, but um, there are limitations on what you can do, but I think our job is to just get creative as possible for players that we really want and, you know, work with them and, and, and try to find a middle ground. And, and, you know, there's, there's, there's no easy answer to that question because it, it is every agent is different. Every player is different. Every scenario is different. I like to think though, that once you can find a happy medium and find a middle ground that Kansas city and, and, and playing in front of this, this great fan base and playing with Pat Mahomes and playing for Andy Reid is certainly appealing. So I feel like half the battle is already won with what we have to offer in regards to playing here and um, having opportunity to, play for Super Bowls and compete for titles. So the other part, you know, I'll defer and rely on on Brant and Chris and getting creative and working for solutions to get these guys paid, maybe in unconventional ways, but they've done a great job of figuring out how to get that done. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Derek Donovan, Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. A tip of the cap to Kirby Teope and Sam McDowell for stopping by and talking Chiefs. Thanks to their stories can be found in the show notes and on kansascity.com. Hey, we have another deal for you. For a limited time, you can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month to get the Stars Sports page online. After three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month unless you cancel. And what a time to subscribe. The Royals are at spring training. March Madness is right around the corner. And, of course, it is never not Chiefs season. So how do you get it? You go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That is kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. You want more than just sports coverage? Check out the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports news features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional national news, sports, and business coverage with the E-Edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. And if you're having trouble hunting down any of these offers, you send me an email, bkirkoff at kcstar.com. I'll get you to the right place. So whether it's the Sports Pass or the full subscription, you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports BKC. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Wednesday with another episode.